1: Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker.
2: Welcome to the Elk Shape Podcast. I'm Dan Staten. This is your blue collar, do-it-yourself self-guided public land elk hunting learning curve resource where we leverage hunting to create more personal development. Our goal is to educate and encourage our listeners to become the best possible version of themselves through hard work, delayed gratification, and being accountable to themselves. What's up, Elk Shape, y'all? So, first and foremost, I appreciate you listening to this podcast. You have a lot of options out there. Thanks for choosing us. We are a company a brand that likes to say discipline is leverage. And furthermore, we leverage elk hunting to create more discipline. They're very reciprocal of each other. And that's what we're all about. So yes, we want you to Kill more elk or kill your first bull by listening to this podcast and all these experts that come on. But we also want you to take control of your life you, through your nutrition and your fitness and your family and your faith and all those things that are going to make life better for you. That's what we're all about. First bit of business is going to be discount codes. Let's get through them because these companies are awesome. I'm asking them to give us these discounts to reward you guys for your, your loyalty because it goes a long way. So on X Hunt, the most robust app for hunting, period. They have way more manpower and resources. This app is money. Download your your, ahead of time your maps where you're going. Run your phone on off-grid mode. You won't burn through your battery, and you can track your steps, mark your waypoints, and you can organize all your waypoints. Discount code is ELKSHAPE, 20% off. Do it. Corey Jacobson, ELK101, University of Elk Hunting. This is his school of elk hunting, and it's awesome. It's been out for a while. He's made some updates. Check it out. Discount code ELKSHAPE, 20% off. Be a student of the game. Caribou game bags, synthetic game bags for your elk meat. Get the whoppity package. On checkout, put in ELKSHAPE, save 15% off. And don't put your meat in cheesecloth. I've said it before and I'll say it again. Speaking of meat, let's forget about the Y brand and all the hype. And let's just get something that's maybe even better and a little cheaper. Siberian Coolers, Bozeman, Montana, I think that's the best cooler out there, and I've owned other brands. Use the discount code elkshape 2019 and knock 10% off. We got Off Grid Food Co. out of Washington State. By far and away, the best tasting buffalo, quail, and other dishes, the granolas, the jerky. Please look them up and use the discount code elkshape 2019 Save 10%. They are elk macronutrient approved, meaning their protein-carb-fat ratios of their dinners are legitimate. Uh, I used to be a hater on e-bikes until I finally got one myself, and now I'm going to promote them. So I'm a guy who rocks a dirt bike, a four-wheeler, I'll go on foot, but the e-bikes enabled me to go behind gates that are locked for motorized vehicles but are legal for e-bikes, and so as long as they're legal, I'm going to be using them. Use the discount code ELKSHAPE300, save 300 bucks on the Backcountry e-bike, and then remember, these bikes are made for hunting. And their components are a lot higher end. It's a lot more of a higher quality bike. And get yourself an extra battery. I'm rocking the mule. I think it's like a 1600 watt. It's a big boy. But it's awesome. And I actually pulled a trailer behind it as well. And that's been a game changer. Lastly, but not not least, all hunting starts from the ground up. Kenichick boots have been a partner of mine since 2010. They're made in Italy. The company's out of Bozeman. They are by far the best boots out there Don't believe the hype. Check out Kinetrek. Use the discount code ELKSHAPE in checkout for $25 off their gaiters. Now, I have gaiters from Sika Gear, and they're amazing. But I would probably be lying if I didn't say I use the Kinetrek gaiters more than any other gaiters, especially during spring bear hunting or late September when it really starts getting wet and moisture and dew and things like that. So they're Velcro. They're really easy to get on and off. They don't make noise. They are awesome. So Kinetrek boots. I use the Guide Series Non-insulated, great boot, have nothing but great things to say about that company. So that's our discount codes. Now, as far as Elk Shape Business, we are on YouTube. Look us up. We put a lot of energy into that. But there's a lot of videos that are not going to be on YouTube, and they are on the online version of Elk Shape Camp. So we've had two camps. We filmed them entirely and edited, produced them, and they are in a vault of videos for just people that sign up for the Elk Shape Camp online. And as for those that just um aren't going to be able to make it to a camp live, we're doing six camps next year and you know a lot of those places are not in the Midwest or out east. So this is for you guys that are trying to get better and there's a lot of personal development in there as well as nutrition and fitness, everything I stand for is in these camps and it will make you the best version of yourself. That's that's the solution. That's what I'm selling and I've put a lot of energy into it so Look into that if you're interested. It's 99 bucks for a one-year subscription. You'll need a year to digest all the videos. And each week, I'm adding more and more videos to that that are exclusive to the online version. That's what I got. Thanks for listening. Let's get into the show with Paul Medell, the Elk Nut. And if you um are interested in like learning more about Paul and what he does, he has Elk Nut Outdoors. Look them up. They have DVDs and CDs and audiobooks bugle tubes, they had it all. But his Elk Nut app is probably the most popular thing because in that app you can listen to all the scenarios and you can hit and play what sounds you should make. You can also record yourself and compare your sounds to his sounds and to real elk sounds to see how you're doing. I think that's awesome. I think that's timely given that it's early August and September's just around the corner. I can't wait guys. Thanks for tuning. Let's get into the Elk Nut. Paul Medell, The Elk Nut, welcome to Elk Shade Podcast, man. Um, pleasure to finally meet you in person a couple weeks ago in Montana. I feel like I know you. I, I'm sure you get that a lot, but I just felt like I already knew you just listening to your stuff early in my elk hunting days and just that you're still relevant. So, But now I, I do know you, man, and it was a pleasure. How are you doing?
3: I'm doing good. And hey, the pleasure was all mine. I, I've I've certainly seen your name hanging around uh, the internet circle for quite a few years. And uh, I've always wanted to meet you. And that's the honest truth. I really did. And so it it was a pleasure meeting you too. And, And, you know, what's so funny is a lot of times, you know, you don't put faces to these names and stuff. And and you were pretty much exactly like I thought you were. You're a very down-to-earth individual. You didn't think, I don't know, I didn't have a bad vibe about you whatsoever. So it were it really was a pleasure.
2: Oh, I fooled you. No, I, uh, I feel <laughs> I feel the same way, man. And uh, you did a great talk at the Western Hunting Summit. And you didn't really mess around either. Like, I made sure to, to be there for yours. And you got right into it. And I'm pretty sure you knocked those guys' socks off. So... <laughs> Today, I mean, dude, you've been on some podcasts and some good ones. And everything you touch is gold when it comes to elk hunting. I think people perk up. Elk season's around the corner. I thought it'd be very appropriate to get you on here. And but first I want to do our due diligence. Can you give us some background on yourself? Like you're a family man, you have a son, you're a blue collar guy, like kind of how you got your start in life and, and how that went before you even like I guess you can segue into how you got into elk hunting too
3: hmm i'm trying to <clears throat> digest all that <laughs> um you mean kind of how did i get my start you mean like being with elk net outdoors Is no that
2: no you- man you were doing masonry and stuff before that so um, yeah i want to talk about your blue collar days raising a family oh, okay. and and how you managed elk hunting too and, and when did you get into elk hunting
3: yeah, that was quite a few years ago. Yeah, you're right. Uh, you know, I'm just, like you say, a blue-collar guy. I didn't come from anything extravagant whatsoever. And nobody in my family hunted, not one person. And so it was kind of a self-motivation. I would say it actually was like 9 or 10 years old. And and, and why, I have no idea. But I just, it, it was through the television. You know, it was black and white TV at that time. And yeah, I'm that old. And so that's <laughs> all there was. And i can remember watching the outdoorsman and i can't remember what the guy's name was it was like lang bell lang or something i'm not uh, exactly sure but i remember seeing these elk things come on and there was just something about it when i every time and he had mule deer and moose and white tail and muley you know just everything but when the elk came on there was something about those elk that I don't know. It just jump started me even at that young age, you know, and so I had that affiliation with it. And as life went on, like for, you know, for everybody else, it kind of just went to nowhere at that time because I was so young and nobody hunted. And I even, th- I wasn't thinking of hunting. I was just, I, I could just tell how it, it, it touched my heart. The elk did. And as time went on, yes, I ended up uh, becoming a masonry contractor as I worked for Mason's Uh, early in my life for several years. And then then I felt, you know what, I could do this. And I went and got my contractor's license and uh, ended up being a masonry contractor for, I guess, 35, 36 years. And I actually have two boys and two girls, my wife and I, Brenda. And we've been married 42, 43 years.
2: Yeah, and so awesome.
3: Still together, you know. And so, I mean, it's just, you know, it was kind of one of those things. So, yeah, I have more than just a son. You only hear about him because he's the only one that really – is into the the elk hunting uh aspect of it and we've been bow hunting ever since he turned 12 years old i elk hunted prior to that but i didn't bow hunt him and i just it, it just didn't mean that too much to me until he started getting into wanting to shoot a bow do this and that and at 12 years old I said, hey, we'll just bow hunt together, and it was kind of just one of those things, you know, and so being able to own my own business and to get away and pull him out of school when he got 12, and I'm not kidding you, I didn't even, I mean, school is secondary. you got to remember, this is a long time ago, <laughs> and now more people are into the educational thing, and Paul still does good and whatnot, but yeah, he uh, he killed a bull at 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 29 out of 29 years, he's killed his elk, and so you know, he's done really well and we've had a great time together. I've I've called every bull in he's ever killed. And and so, you know, that's why Elknut Outdoors came came about. I'm not kidding you. That was it. I knew how I struggled to start. And and, and, and and my start was, you know, you know, even during rifle season and stuff, or rifle hunts, I should say, prior to the season, I would go out and listen to these elk. I wanted to hear them. I was so infatuated by them. I had to get out there in June, July, August because they would migrate out of Idaho. And I've been in Idaho a long time. I mean, almost 40 years. And so most of my life I've been here. And, you know, I just started realizing they had uh, uh, they would communicate with each other. They had a dialect. I, I would watch their behavior, their body language and the sounds that they would make. And it just one thing led to another. Of, of of the excitement and wanting to know more and more, so my my education with elk is kind of like the heart the school of hard knocks. It had nothing to do with going to college for it. It was just hands on and 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 a major desire to want to know everything I could. And and basically, you know what? Twenty one years ago, that's when I started delving into elk net outdoors and started sharing this information. And it came about because folks were seeing how many elk we were taking and we were taking them consistently every year. I mean, even to my son. And so people started coming to us and asking, how are you doing this? Right. And it just kind of went into that, you know, of, of, of the understanding of the elk vocalization and everything. And, and it, so it stemmed from there.
2: Were you seeing success with a rifle or like, how was it your first couple years elk hunting?
3: Yes. But you know, at the same time, you have to understand that that many years ago, you know, put things in perspective there wasn't that many hunters. There just wasn't. It was just so few. And it was like when I was trying to learn, uh, you know, some strategies or some techniques. I didn't even think of it like that at that time, that many years ago. I mean, I'm 64 now. And so way back then, it was just like, I'm going to go hunting. It wasn't like you today you see... People are so busy in their lives with their families and their jobs. They're running all over the Internet and getting any piece of information they can to put things, uh, put things together to cut the learning curve way down because they're so busy in every aspect that they can only apply so many days, you know, toward elk season. Well, it wasn't like that back then. It was like, like, da, 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 da. you know, it was no big deal. You went hunting, you know, whether it was for deer, elk or whatever. And so I didn't see that pressure that we see today, but yeah, I had success then, but it really didn't have a lot to do with the sounds because it was with a rifle. It was more of just finding them. There was no wolves to contend with then at that time. And so, you know, there's been a lot more challenges with, with uh, the increase of the wolves here in Idaho. And uh, I mean, we have a lot of them. It's not just a few. You're into them every day. Whether it's them personally hearing them, seeing them, their sign, it's everywhere. And so I like that. I enjoy that new challenge between them and hunters and and bears and mountain lions and everything else. But, you know, it's just kind of a different uh, atmosphere 40 years ago as it was today. So, yeah, I saw success then. But bow hunting and rifle hunting are two different worlds.
2: Oh, definitely. Well, you brought wolves up. I figured we'd go down that road and get it out of the way. (laughs) So I'm really curious to your evolution of experiencing wolves. You're down in the McCall area, central Idaho. Mm -hmm. Uh, My place is up in the panhandle and Mm -hmm. I started hunting there in 2001. And I heard a few rumors that guys had heard wolves. And I'll never forget the first time I heard wolves was like, probably 2006 and for about 15 minutes i thought it was an ambulance coming in the back country i was wow. like man i i think i hear sirens and somebody must have got hurt and then it dawned on me after a while that i was like that's that's not a sign that's that's wolves and then that was 2006 and then i think and really mm. in about 2010 is where I stopped seeing sign and I started seeing them in person when I was elk hunting. And since then I, I was trying to do the math cause I've, I talk about them a lot on here, but I bet I've seen over, Oh, probably close to a hundred or just over a hundred different wolves with my two eyeballs in Idaho while elk wow. hunting. and Man. just this spring I filmed a, a big alpha running down the road, right at my daughter and I, we were shed hunting. He never saw us. And I actually had to yell at him to get him to, to run away at 30 yards and so they're thick they're really thick how how has it been with your i mean you were in the woods probably i just want to hear your side of the story when when did they start being a thing
3: 10 years ago before that i think they came here in what was it 94 95 Mm -hmm. it's somewhere in there and so that's quite a few years ago but you know we never even realized they were around or an issue uh, to to be dealt with at first and I, i'm sure it's because the populations weren't what they are now and and even today you know i hate using excuses for for hunting elk or any game animal you know because and i think that's what it is i think it's no more than an excuse that people people use it's like is it too hot is it too cold it's rainy uh there's wolves you know i mean there's always something that people find to 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 use it as an excuse why they're not getting into elk or why they're not putting a tag on an elk and 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 to me that's what it is and you know and i'll just be completely blunt about it Mm -hmm. people don't want to bust their butt you have to work at killing elk you know elk hunting is tough business it really is this isn't you're not golfing out there i mean it's really tough business and so to be successful usually it requires more than one encounter you know, per person. It, it, you know, if you have one encounter and you kill an elk, that's great and wonderful. But you can't rely upon that year after year. So to get in several different encounters, and, and, and attitude is everything. If you go out there with the attitude that things are, you know, dismayed and it and it's going to be like pulling teeth, and I'm not going to do any good, and not expect to do any good. It's just so many people and so many wolves. If that's what you think. When you go out there, you've already beat yourself up. You really have. You, 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 your odds of success have dropped considerably. You, as an elk hunter, you have to be physically fit if you're going to run and gun. You know, there's tree stand hunting fitness, and then there's running gun fitness. There's even spot and stock fitness, depending on the country you're hunting. But that's how I look at elk hunting. I look at it like that. I mean, do you need to be fit? It depends on your style of elk hunting. How far do you plan to go? Me, I got to be fit. I'm not Dan Stanton, but I'll tell you what. I I work my butt off at my age to still be able to hunt with my son and have no limitations, and I can hunt 25 straight days and I can hunt every single day. I take no breaks and I'll usually pack about 6 bulls out every year. And so it's a matter of mental toughness at times. Mental toughness to me is probably one of the largest qualities that a hunter can possess. And what that means is he knows when to put it in the veggie mode and, 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 and continue to grind. And believe me, Dan, that's what it's about. If you're not a grinder and you think things should just be handed to you, whether there's wolves or whatever the case may be, man, you're in the wrong game. That's not what elk hunting is about. You know, especially when we're talking and when I'm referring to elk hunting, I'm referring to over-the-counter tags here because that's what we cut our teeth on and that's what we're successful with every single year is we've killed elk every year, 29 years straight. This will be our 30th. We're going out on over-the-counter tags. Yes, we've killed some elk in the draw units as well when we, you know, draw one, but they're very few and far in between. So we're we're going out there and hunting where you and everybody else is out there. And having this kind of success with or without wolves. And so I think people just use a lot of excuses. They want things easier. They don't want to have to work as hard. And I'll tell you the number one reason why people don't kill elk. As an archery hunter, they don't call enough. That's what it is. Number one, they don't call enough. And if there was two things in a row, and there is, it's their setup. Setup is the second thing that people fail at knowing how when and where to set up or when to move during an encounter they don't ha- they don't have that thing down pat and once they do man oh man you become an elk killer you really do but you got to have the calling in my opinion if you're going to be a dark timber hunter if you're a spot and stalker again that's you know that's a different thing the same as a tree stand guy but as a as a, as a as a runner and gunner and moving and covering ground vocally until you finally find find a bull you know, that's our style. And, you know, as well as I do, I mean, that takes some fitness, you're just not going to walk out there and do that without being prepared for it.
2: No, well, there's some good stuff. We got to unpack several things that you said. Um, First one is kind of, we'll just put that wolf thing to bed. Like, I love your take, you know, lots of excuses, but um, from an, like a biological standpoint, you said you really didn't have wolves in this in the equation until about ten years ago, and you've evolved. So let's just kind of wrap this up. How have you evolved now that you have wolves they're back they're back in the equation? What do you guys do to adjust and stay positive and work around it?
3: Is I notice the call-ins take longer? <laughs> that's what it really you know that's really what it amounts to. In other words, what does that mean when when I say the call-ins? or close encounters with elk is what I'm referring to here, they take longer to develop. It's like the elk are a little more suspicious, you know, because these elk that live in, 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 in specific areas, I don't care what state you're hunting in, they know, really, they know each other in their area. They get their pecking orders down. They know each other in their summer grounds. And so they know who Joe and Bill and Frank and and Gene and whatever. They know all these guys by their, by sight, sound, or smell. And so you and I get dumped into the equation and all of a sudden, this is a sound they're not familiar with. You see, even though we're representing an elk. And, and, and so to convince them that we're one of them it takes a little more work than it used to they used to come in a little bit easier or vocalize a little bit easier but now yeah we get them to vocalize don't get me wrong there's no problem there i mean on average when i'm hunting this amount of time i would say i hear between 250 to 400 bugles every year on over the counter so and but you hear a lot of people say they just won't call don't bugle don't do this don't do that well obviously they don't know what they're doing they really don't they have no clue and because they read so much they do less and less and less calling and again i'm really referring to when calling is necessary we're talking about dark timber if i'm seeing elk in open country i'm not calling to them i already see them my calling is to locate to find and then i cut the distance and work them it's the same as if i saw them in open country i would cut the distance wait till they got some cover then i would work them so you know, both the strategies are the same. No tactics change, but definitely with the with the injection of wolves into the system and more hunters, it's a combination of the two. A lot more hunters. The unit I hunted last year had over seven thousand elk tags in it. That's over the counter, seven thousand. Wow. So you tell me if that's uh, of some pressure. That's a lot of pressure. But, you know, you have to overcome that. You look at that as a challenge, not as a, oh, man, we're not going to get anything. You can't look at it like that. You have to go out there and say, I am going to make this happen. I'm going to do better than the next guy. And what does that mean? That means I have to go that extra mile. I have to push myself. I'm going to go to areas that most people wouldn't even think of. I'm not going down the trail. I'm not going down this dirt gated road because everybody's there. That's where they congregate and people sprout out and hunt from there. So I look at my maps. I look at my phone. Map as well as topo maps, and I look at where are these elk going to go that are being pushed from these little spots, and that is how I I, I isolate some of the secluded spots. And you know, all these elk we kill, I would venture or guess that 95% of them are within one and a half mile of a dirt road. We're not going 10 miles in. And we're killing mostly six-point bulls here. You know, we're not killing a bunch of cows and spikes. And the point is, is that we try to go to where these elk want to dump off to. And, yeah, there's times we've killed elk four and five miles back. But that's not the, that's not the norm for us. And so, you know, again, I like the challenge. And, yeah, that the wolves have been uh, something to deal with. But it's, it's nothing that anybody who has a desire to be successful cannot overcome. I mean, tell me, how, how do you adjust to it? You and Idaho.
2: Yeah, we're very mobile. Very, very, very yep. mobile. A lot of people, I think they have in their mind that I'm some crazy backcountry elk hunter. And there are times where I go deep and I go steep. But mm-hmm. uh, I have a dirt bike, y'all, and I know how to ride it. Not like mm-hmm. I don't race enduro. I'm not into like, hey, let's go ride single track dirt bike trails. It's a tool for me to get where the elk are and to leave behind many guys who don't have a single track dirt bike or but the four-wheelers can't go only horses dirt bikes are on foot right and so that just gets me in places that other guys can't go and i can spin around on my bike as soon as i hear wolves howling or i see a fresh turd right in the trail uh and it's not hard to tell when it's fresh the wolves are probably in there and so i just have to bounce to the next drainage i just have backup plans and if i hunt the same general areas and I'm very mobile, very flexible. And when I wake up in the morning, Paul, I never know where I'm gonna get a kill an elk. I don't like I have a plan. I have a plan B and C. And but honestly, every day's Christmas. I don't know what I'm gonna get. <laughs> but it's uh, mobility. And and the other thing I wanted to unpack. And gosh, I hope you can drop some insight on this. Is I couldn't agree more. Like between the ears, the mindset, the mentality of an elk hunter. At least the way I know how to elk hunt is pure grit and determination i told the guys at the summit after you left like i'm not the best archery shot here not even close i'm not the best caller i'm not the best backcountry woodsman you know but i'm the grittiest guy you'll ever meet like i have no quit and i'll grind every second of daylight that there's available in september and that's that's the only thing i can put uh you know a feather in my cap on is just uh, Mm -hmm. how do you get that Because I couldn't agree more. That will separate, and a lot of listeners here are rookie elk hunters or they don't have consistent success yet. How do you gain, like what's your take on gaining mental toughness? How do you get that mindset?
3: By working out. Okay. That's me. I work out year round, and that's what works for me. Does it mean it's for everybody? No. Maybe some guys get it through, you know, running 40 miles. I don't run 40 miles, but working out gives me self-confidence. It has my entire life. And, and I've probably worked out ever since I was 15 years old and, 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 and I work out to stay in shape. And in my, you know, as I got older, mine was, I'm stay, I, I mean, everybody knows I've used this phrase. It's your phrase, but I try to stay in elk shape and, and that's my workout program. So just that mental toughness comes from that. In other words, when I, when I'm working out, here's what I do just real quick. I work out three days a week. I work out Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And I mean religiously. It's really hard. I have to really have something important to do not to hit one of those days. And my wife will tell you. I mean, it's just like I do not like missing one. But Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, I work out approximately an hour and a half. I go through the weights, and I go through aerobic. And as elk season comes up, I'll take that same weight workout routine and speed through it as fast as I can. And so I'm trying to build the endurance with it as well. And so three days a week, I carry a pack for anywhere two and a half to four miles. And then I also run two to three days a week. And I usually run around two to three and a half miles. And I do this year round. I don't stop. And, and, and so to, and as I do this, and especially when it's snowing outside and it's rainy and I don't want to go. I mean, how many times do we have those days, Dan? I mean, it's like, I don't care what. I, I just don't want to go. That's it. And you know what? Those are the days I push the hardest because they all don't care. They just don't. And, you, and, and, and when, I'm, when I'm starting, it seems like the first quarter to half mile if I'm running, jogging, or I'm working out, it's the hardest. It, it is. But once I get going, I cannot believe how much better I feel because I push myself every time. Then there's days, man, I can't wait to get out there or can't wait to work out. It, and so when I, as I think like that, and it builds that mental toughness up in me, I feel the strength of not just physically but mentally. And so when I'm out there elk hunting, I draw on that. That's exactly what I do. If I did not have those previous workouts and the grind and push myself, and I mean – I know you don't know me that well, but you ask my wife. I mean I will push myself until – I mean, at 64, I, I've done 100 push-ups, you know, and that's pretty good for a guy that at that age. But it's pushing; it's really working it, working it, working it, pushing it, forcing myself because I know it carries over into my elk hunting, and that works for me. And, and maybe you have a little bit different taste on it of how you uh, work out and do things that 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 carry over into elk hunting. But for myself. It, it really makes a huge difference to when I'm not feeling like going out there or, or or maybe even going certain distances or certain places. And, you know, when you start limiting yourself, I don't know. I don't know how to put that in words because I don't like limiting myself. I'm the guy that says I will worry about that bridge to cross when I kill that elk. It's not I'm going I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to go there or oh, I won't go over there because I might not get an elk out. I don't think that way. No, no way. No and, and so, you know, that that's kind of how it works. Oh,
2: <laughs> uh, well that makes a lot of sense and I think folks need to hear that because guys like me who, man, fitness like comes pretty easy to me, but I would say there's more days that I don't feel like training than yeah. I do, and especially since I had kids cuz now <laughs> I can't just work out whenever I want. I have a small small window. It's narrow and mm. I got to go do it and there's other things that I that I that I'd rather do or need to yeah. do but ultimately it's the repetitious of repetition of not quitting and not making excuses or not listening to that little voice and just getting the work done and i think the other thing is um and i would encourage everyone to not do this is i killed a bull in 2001 my first bull with a rifle and then i didn't kill a bull with a bow until 2005 in new mexico so there was Uh, whatever, those years in between of not killing an elk. But furthermore, that bull was in New Mexico, Paul, and then my next bull was in New Mexico, and then my next bull was in Montana, and then finally (laughs) Idaho. So if you like wondering what I'm saying, I'll spell it out for you. I think Idaho over-the-counter is one of the hardest there is, period, Mm -hmm. which is why when I hear a guy like you that's gone 29 for 29, i got to get you on my podcast because – if you can kill an Idaho bull on over the counter, I feel like you can just about well, I've killed a bull in almost in every state that I've had attacked. Idaho mm-hmm. is just something different. It's the terrain, it's the brush, it's the timber, it's steep and it's the pressure. And so what drove me was all those years of tag soup. It was from 2001 to 2009 till I finally killed my first Idaho Bull. He was a seven by seven. He was worth Totally, cow. He was worth waiting. <laughs> but if you add up that $3,500 plus of tag soup, man, those yeah. are the best years of my life. I wouldn't trade those in because I learned so much about elk hunting and it made me go crazy. As soon as September <laughs> was over, I was like, okay, I need to identify everything that's within my control to be a better elk hunter. And I need. To like basically prioritize my weaknesses, put them at the top of the list and work my way down every day. So it could be October first, and I'm the guy out there working on bugling in his garage, you know, stuff like that. So a combination of sucking at elk hunting and not me personally. I hate failure, but it drives me. It's it's a blessing in disguise. And then just saying say a no to that little voice that tries to get you talk you out of doing the hard things like working out consistently. Okay, so we've unpacked wolves, we've unpacked mental toughness. Your take is awesome. You are ABAMF and I I look <laughs> up to you, man, but I we you said there's two things you got to worry about when it's elk hunting and elk season's just about here. So we got to talk about call more set up properly and help some of these noobs out to what you mean so can you unpack those topics and kind of maybe shove us in the right direction on how to call more what sounds to make and how to set up most importantly
3: yeah you know my my strategy when i when we head out there and when i say we cuz so many times it's my son and i you know is is it's so simple it's 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 like anything else out there there's nothing really strategic about it until i find the elk That's when strategy comes into play. But locating the elk, as I'm heading through the woods, I can tell you one thing, and I know a lot of people will disagree with this, but I really don't care because I kill them anyway, is I don't worry about the wind. The last thing in my my mind is the wind. I could care less what it's doing. I don't know where the elk are anyway. So remember, I don't know where they're at. So I haven't found them. It's not like I need to, to use the wind in my favor. People overthink the wind. Right. And, and I will tell you that right off the bat. And it screws up a lot of their hunting because they avoid certain areas. The elk may be because, oh, the wind's going that way or the wind's doing this. Me, I go anywhere. What makes me think or anyone think that the elk are standing right in my track of wind? I mean, you know what the probability of that is? I mean, it's just so rare. They are to your left, to your right, above you, below you. If the elk are below me and I'm above them and I'm hunting in the morning or at daylight, I'm trying to locate, I could care less. If those elk are anywhere from 200 yards to a mile below me, they're never going to smell me. Do you think if I was in a tree stand 200 yards up, they'd ever smell you? No. But people think that it just automatically goes down there. But it doesn't. The same with going uphill. If you have elk above you and you're hunting them and the thermals have changed and the wind's going up, I don't worry about any of that. I mean, if they're 100 yards from me, yeah, I'm going to get busted. But they're not. And, And if they are, I don't want those elk anyway. I'm a caller. I find him through calling. I move and call, move and call, move and call. Each spot I call from is where I couldn't have heard him from the last bugle. And that's what I'm doing is I'm bugling. I'm bugling to locate. I am not looking for him because I hunt so much dark timber. And so if I do catch some openings where I'm elevated and I can glass, that's great. But People don't call enough. They sneak around or they're just they're, – they're hunting elk like deer is what they're doing. Right. They're slipping around like something's going to jump up in front of them anytime. And elk aren't like that. I'm not saying it could never happen, but who cares? You know, the, you, you know? Nothing's perfect out there. But I call to locate. Why? Because it works. It works. It works. It works. That's all there is to it. I hardly ever bump into an elk. If I told you the honest truth right now, when's the last time you accidentally bumped into the elk? elk because you're randomly moving around i couldn't even tell you i don't even know what year it was it wasn't last year or the year before or the year before i mean it just rarely ever happens that makes and sense. so once i find him so once i get a bull to answer me now the wind. i play it religiously now i have to position myself even if it's, it, the bull bugle below me i'm like okay what's the wind doing now i got that puff b- bottle in my hand and it doesn't leave my hand And so now I work position as I close the distance to make sure I have the wind and then I will work him accordingly. And so, you know, that's my strategy when I'm when I'm heading away from the rig. If it's new country, then I'm unfamiliar with it. And so I probably doing a little more calling than country I know because I know about where the elk should be in place A, place B, place mm-hmm. C. And so you got these spots you call from because you've eliminated the others. You've been going through it now for five or ten years, and you already know there's nothing ever in these spots. So you just kind of walk through them and go to the areas that usually you can call from and get a response from them. So, I mean, that's kind of my strategy in, in locating elk.
2: Okay, so locating elk. Typically, do you start out with a series of muse, or do you go right to a locator bugle? What's kind of uh, your go-to?
3: No cow calling. I could care less about cow calling. It doesn't go anywhere. Very rare will I ever cow call for a locate. You know, I just don't. I just don't care. It's, it's So many times when I used to cow call a lot, I've had elk coming walking toward me and not say a sound. But boy, the bugle? If there's a bull there, he responds to it generally in most cases. And that's why I've stuck to that plan because it works. You see, I see a lot of success with it. And and even if they're not ready, a lot of times they'll just make a sound. But, you know, it doesn't have to be that TV classic bugle. You know, I may hear something like this, Dan. Let me do a sound. Okay. That's all I might hear. And he might be 150 yards away, but he answered my bugle. But so many people think that they're going to, you know, everything is a challenging three note as loud as they could. I mean, it's not. You listen to all these little things out there. And and, and sometimes you'll just hear a bull kind of give a. "Ah!" I mean, that's it. That's all he says to you. And and, but it gives away his position. And that's all I'm looking for. I'm looking. Where are you? It's the same as a person glassing. Is he trying to call them in with a spotting scope or his binos? No. He's looking for them. And what happens once he locates them? He starts closing the distance. That's what I'm doing with the bugle. I'm using the bugle because it works so well even in wolf country or non-wolf country. And my normal bugle sounds like this. All right. That's about what I do right there. And I'll do it over and over as I move from spot to spot. If I feel I'm in a really good area, I know they're in there. I may hit it two or three times. Sometimes just once. It just, you know, you get those gut feelings and which your best gut feelings are what? They're built from experience. They're built because you've been there, done that hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times, and there's just certain spots that you know something should be there. So sometimes I'll change it up and get real aggressive, and I try to get that shock bugle out of them if I really think they're there. But, but basically what I'm doing is bugling. I'm, I hardly ever cow call. Right. You don't see me giving two or three cow calls before the bugle or da-da-da. No, no. I'm, I'm basically bugling is what I'm doing.
2: No, that makes a lot of sense. And locating the elk is probably the biggest question I get. And there's a lot of guys that are like finally coming out west from their east coast, Midwest dwelling, and they're nervous. They don't know. They don't know what they're getting themselves into. But they they've seen enough on the internet. They know they want to be a part of this, and I applaud them for having the courage. And then there's a few on the fence that are going to listen to this podcast, and we're just gonna we're gonna push a few over, and they're gonna come our way and experience. Life changing, literally life changing. Elk hunting—it's made me who I am. As cheesy as that sounds, and there's a, <laughs> there's some veteran hunters too that are like, "Man, I'm doing the same thing and getting the same results and eating the same tag soup. I got to change it up." So find an elk, being mobile, traveling. Now I've heard you on other po- podcasts talk about this, but you're not afraid to drive roads. Roads are not—they're not a concern to you. That's just a tool for you to cover more ground and pitch out more bugles. So. Mm-hmm. When do you guys, I mean, obviously you've hunted a lot of the areas over and over, but like, let's say you're going into, you know, a whole new road system or a familiar road system. How often does a guy need to get out and bugle and how do you find some of these overlooked areas? And then where are the no brainer areas where you just got to pitch a bugle into and find your outfit to hunt that day?
3: Man, those are, I mean, you've got some great questions, dude. (laughs) (laughs) You do. I mean, I do a lot of these podcasts. I've done hundreds and I mean, those are some those are some nobody's asked me those before like that but but you know what those are the very things that i think about so how are in the world are you in my brain like that because that is exactly how i think right there and that's funny but yeah you know when i i resort mostly to uh bugling from the roads is i'm either in a new area Or I'm having difficulty finding elk in the areas that I've known for years, okay? So let's say I've been hunting my areas for two or three days, and I'm really getting – I'm not finding anything. And it happens. You know, it's elk hunting. I mean, people think I just walk out there and they just bugle every – are you kidding me? I work hard at this, the same as everybody else does. And so if I get two or three days in a row where just nothing is happening and responding – and I don't want to go into blind and cold calling – If you start doing those kind of sequences, you're going to call cows and spikes in and and an occasional raghorn. And I and honestly, that's not what I'm looking for. So I try to tailor all my strategies and my calling to attract nothing but bulls. And so you'll notice a lot of my strategies that I do choose. It's for bulls only. It, It eliminates the cows almost completely. And so that's what we're looking for when we go out there. So when I'm going to go and I'm going to drive down the roads. I'm going to go about an hour to an hour and a half before daylight. And it's because I've had the elk aren't ready. That's just all there is to it. There's no hot cows anywhere. The bulls are very lazy, lethargic. It's probably really hot early season. You know, a lot of times that's when it's happening. And and so, yes, I'll start driving and I call about every mile Um, in new areas where I can see some vantage points and my bugle will travel for well over a mile down some draws, fingers ridges, basins, just way out there it covers. I will mark some of those if on an unfamiliar area so that I can make sure I stop there and bugle two or three times into those spots. And, and it's not unusual for us to do this and within 30 minutes pick up four to six different bulls that are answering. But don't let the listeners think that they're standing next to the road. They're not next to the road. They're <laughs> no. way out there. But the point is, is that they're responding to it. And the really cool thing about that is... Is you don't have to look at yourself or your partner and go, "Do you think that was really an elk out there? Is that a hunter? Ain't nobody out there." <laughs> so you know it's a bull every time you hear it, and so you know that's a that's a nice thing because a lot of times you know guys have a difficulty during the daytime when they're calling and something answers and they're not sure if it's a bull or not. Well, at this time there is no question. Everything you hear is a bull, and and so you know we'll listen to these bulls. And we're going, ah, that one don't look, sound so good. Ah, yeah, maybe. ah, This way, you know, until we find one that's just really gnarly and like, okay, that's the bull we're looking for. And and, and sometimes you get choosy like that because you, you get so many different ones to respond. Come daylight, they don't say nothing. They just shut down. But in the evening, at night, early morning like that, elk get real brave. And, and I've used it for years. And I'll bet you we took nine bulls this year, and I would say three or four of them were killed that way. Every single year we take a bull. Several bulls by finding them before daylight. And Mm -hmm. once we hear them say one sound, they're getting a slow play. That's what they're going to get from me. That has been the most productive thing in the world unless we can, you know, find a bull that's extremely aggressive. I can tell he's got hot cow with him because there's two or three or more. There's multiple bulls bugling that bull. When you have multiple bulls bugling a single bull, you got a hot cow present. So the slow play isn't going to kill the herd bull. It'll kill one of the other bulls if that's what you're looking for. But it won't kill the herd bull. So if you want the herd bull, I have to use a strategy that is just for him. That's it. But if, it's a, if, if, I de- if I'm dealing with a herd bull with cows and no hot cow, he's getting a slow play. Isn't that kind of a weird thing, that how that works? But it does. That's exactly how I play this. The slow play is designed to work on any bull, but you have to figure uh, their attitude. Is there a hot cow or not present? Because that dictates... What type of elk you're going to draw in with it. And let me tell you something. When you do the solo play accurately and right, you will call in over 90% of the bulls you target. And that is no kidding. You just have to – you have to know what the ingredients are to the recipe and play them out. And once you do, I tell you what, you could just basically call in every elk. You really do, and, and and I know it's hard for people to appreciate that because they're so used to just giving a few cow calls and a bugle, and if a bull answers, you know, bull answers them, you hear them kind of go,
0: Wooow.
3: they want a hammer right now. Oh, yeah, I mean, a bull answer me, I'm just getting aggressive, and that's what they do. Right. It's, one of the, it's the worst thing in the world to do. You've got to listen to that bull's emotion, and once you kind of figure out real quick, What his mindset is, you work him accordingly. Even the bull that just goes, (coughs) that bull is in trouble. You just have to know how to work him. You got to listen to him, what he just said. Not in words, but just as emotion, you can tell that he's not fired up. He's not aggressive. And so now I have to be real subtle with this bull, but I will suck him in. And you don't have to be that close. 150, 200 yards, that's about all you have to be. And you can pull him in with that. So, you know, that's my meat and potatoes right there. I get aggressive with a bull when I can tell he has a hot cow present. I don't get aggressive with him when he doesn't have a hot cow present. You see, and, and, and that's how I play it. But I will eventually get him to be aggressive. Through the slow play, I will work him up. I will get his testosterone aroused. I'll get it to rise, 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 rise until he He can't see no end to it. He's on full tilt, full scent, and he is hammering me. I can't even bugle fast enough to cover what he's bugling. All from a bull that wasn't saying nothing. Zero. And that is what's so exciting to be able to do that on over-the-counter hunts where these bulls get rocked by hunters. But nobody does it this way, and, and, and they're not calling right. You know, when I'm starting and, and I'm trying to work the slow play, Dan, I think one of my, 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 my favorite sounds is kind of like yearning because, you know, when you're working the slow play, it's you and the cow. Okay, you heard a bull. You got a bull to say something, or he said something on his own, and you know he's somewhere over here, 200 yards. He won't say anything. You don't know where he is. He's, you know you've closed the distance, and he's over there, but where? You've cow called. You've even given a few – you know, sometimes I'll respond back, but he hasn't said nothing. And so many times you run into that. And that's when I start with the slow play. And as I'm giving a couple of cow sounds, as you kind of got an idea what it is already, once I'm giving a few cow sounds for a couple of minutes, go by and I do it again. And once I start the bull in, like a bull shows up on the scene and starts raking, and then I go ahead and do some of the – you know, where he's panting, kind of (laughs) – you see and and so and i when i start glunking i like to do it with my lips because i want him to strain to listen to me i don't think this i don't think that sounds that great a lot of people do it and i don't think they really have that much success with it they're just going through the motions but if you just kind of pop your lips a little bit kind of you'd be surprised that that'll carry 200 yards to a bull why because you've already planted the seed you see, now he's intent on listening to everything that he hears over there. And so when I'm kind of working the the bull sounds with a little bit of raking, a little bit of panting, and the cow sounds and glunking and I kind of <laughs> I do a lot of little stuff like that. And why because I'm talking to the cow. I'm excited. I'm yearning. I'm showing my emotion for this fine. This cow is coming into heat. This is the sounds a bull display as he show as this cow is exciting him he can taste he can smell her the he can taste the pheromones basically with his tongue that's what he's basically doing with the glunky he's flapping the roof of his mouth tasting it and then he's showing his excitement for his f- new found friend so to call speak the the cow who's coming into heat and as you play that scenario out and kind of carry it on through and elevate your calling a little bit more. And when a bull finally acts, and he does, you guys have to have so much faith in this that keep playing it and within five, 10 minutes somewhere on it, that bull will finally sound off. He will, and what he usually sounds off to is the cow call. Is what he does, and he ends up because I I will throw that cow in very sparingly. I'll throw her in the beginning, then maybe two minutes down, then I work the bull in. He's displaying, he's raking, he's thrashing, he's kicking his hoofs. I'm giving those yearning little groans and moans and panting, and glunking. You see, this is the signs a bull uses when a cow is in heat. He doesn't use them any other time. You won't hear you won't hear him walking around the woods doing that for no reason. You ain't going to hear him doing it in January, February, March. It's right then, and it's with the hot cow. How Have you ever seen a bull do that? I mean, heard them when you got in the mix and you knew there was a hot cow. Have you heard him make all those different little subtle sounds when you're close enough?
2: Oh, man. I think this should – like so if guys are taking notes here, <laughs> what what I'm – I'm gonna, like I'm a translator. So at uh, least experienced elk hunters, what he's saying here is that you're turning your back to the bull you actually want to kill. And you're going to drive him insane by ignoring him. Yeah, you're not even talking to him. You're you are, right. <laughs> you are like you taking this away from him. He has he's out of the equation. He's dead to you. You are just interested in this make-believe cow that mm-hmm. you've created this scene. And it's a slow play. But I mm-hmm. will say, like, don't be surprised if it takes two minutes and this bull's coming in, or if it takes 20 minutes. Of working it over, but eventually, like if you don't get winded and you pique his curiosity, he, especially a bigger bull, is this is a great tactic to kill bigger bulls. You're not just going to call in satellites with this. This is this is incredible information. So oh no,
3: we call we kill some really good bulls with this, and one of our biggest targets is the herd bull with cows, with no hot cow because we have a captive audience in their bedding area. We go straight to their bedding areas because anytime you're hunting an elk, Dan from like 9.30 on roughly, 9.30 to an hour, hour and a half before sunset, where are the elk? They're in the bedding area. 85% of the day when an elk, during the daytime, they're in their bedding area. They're not in the feeding area. They're not in transition. They're right where they want to be. And that is why when I find elk, Those are other podcasts too. But when I find elk, I really try to find them after 930. I find them early too and kill them. But once I catch them after 930, they are where they want to be. So many times these hunters are working elk and calling to them, you know, before they reach the bedding area and they're on the move. And as they call, the bull keeps moving and calling and answering. And they think they're running from them, but they're not. They're going somewhere and they don't want to come back where they just came from. So once you get them at that destination... That is where you work them, call them, and kill them, right there. But when you go through that yearning, and here's what the bull usually answers. Because, guys, I have done this hundreds of times. And we've killed a lot of bulls and called in a lot of bulls. And here's what happens. I can almost paint the picture as I go through this yearning and I'm talking and I haven't made any more cow sounds since the bull entered the equation. Remember, this cow gave a few cow sounds. A couple minutes later, she does it again. What does that mean to the bull that heard her? Nothing. Not a squatting thing. It just means there's a cow over there. That's all it's representing. I went. (coughs) That's all I did. I planted the seed that there's a cow over there. And I knew darn well that bull wasn't going to care. He couldn't care less because of his attitude. It was just a lazy bed bugles all it was and I've seen it hundreds and hundreds of times So I already knew he didn't care and if he did make any little sound, what was he? He was trying to call the cow over there. That's all he would do If he even gave a few chuckles or any little thing He's just telling her to come on over and giving her a direction big deal She's kind of like eh, whatever if that happens I, if he does do that to me I don't even pay attention to him. I just stay there and go silent Wait a couple more minutes do the cow calls again. So see about four minutes goes by then I inject the raking. You see, I want this bull that's over there to realize another bull had hurt her, and he kind of bebopped over. They didn't come running. He bebopped over there, and now he's in her presence, and now all of a sudden, he's raking, and he's raking, and he's kind of getting excited, and he's raking, and now you're <laughs> and you get him excited I even blow through my nose a lot of times if you, a bull will do that as he starts wheezing he's, he gets excited and I breathe through my tube kind of and that's all he can hear he can hear those little things and, and then I'll throw the reed in like I say as I get carried away with it and show my emotion, my excitement for my newfound friend here <laughs> And I'm just throwing a little bit of voice inflection in it, and I'm breathing through it, and I barely touch the reed. And guys, this is so real. When you've seen bulls, and they're just coming in to the to to a hot cow in their presence, oh, they just start yearning and they're excited and but they're not telling the world. They're right there talking to her. Like if it was you and your girlfriend right there. Are you yelling at the top of your youngs about everybody and what you're gonna end up doing and stuff? No, you just kinda everything's sort of an emotional thing, a lovey dovey thing. That's what's going on there. That's the picture you're painting. And once you start adding a few glunks and this and that, and then once you give that cow sound, now you've given cow sound after the bull went through his little ceremony his 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 courting process and now i go just give a little bit of sound like that and that is when i usually about five six minutes into it all of a sudden i'll hear the bull just a short bugle and he's trying to call the cows what he's doing and as soon as he does i usually just give him a little that's it with the bull sound that's it and i go right back to raking and do my little thing and as soon as I cow call again, bam, he hits me again. Now, I change my tone as a cow will use a sound that is an invite to another elk. Cow, bull, just like if you said, hey, honey, come over here. Or your best friend, hey, come on over here. You talk to either gender, it doesn't matter. You're still saying the same word. When a cow does that, now I'm having this cow, meet, the my, my, the cow that's with me, invite the bull over. Because the she actually chooses the bull that's going to breed her. She wants to check him out. So here's the sound she'll make. You notice how she's dropping it. Whereas a normal cow sound is nothing. But once she goes and drops that note four or five times, she's asking him to come over. And I haven't not done that to a bull yet that didn't just come right back at her. I mean, just hammers her. He's getting excited. And when he does, I go right back over the top of him with my I let him a little bit more emotion in, in my bugle this time. You see, and I so I'm not running up there challenging him at the top of the ladder yet. I'm climbing the ladder little by little, and I'm following his emotion. And so I'm not trying to blow him out of the water and give him three lip balls in a row. No, I'm not there yet. I'm going to, but I'm not there yet. I'm playing the game. I'm just letting him know to stay back or else. That's what I'm doing. This is my cow. But the thing that kills the bull is once I go ahead and invite him over and I run him off again with my bull sound – I now go to this sound with the cow.
0: <coughs>
3: that is a demanding sound that a cow will use urgently, telling that bull to come over here now. And when I do that, you can almost hear him running. He has picked it up. And we're talking over the counter bulls here. These guys get called all the time. And he is coming my way. And as soon as I can hear him, now I'm elevating. <coughs> There is no time for a location bugle there. I'm letting him know right there I don't like it. Stay back. Stay back. That's what I'm telling him, but he's not going to stay back. He's coming, and, as, and usually he's got a bugle coming my way that is almost cutting me off, but think about it. This is a bull that never said one sound. I couldn't get him to say anything. You run against these bulls all year long well in September that give you that one note, one little bugle, and you don't know what to do with him. And so you walk away from him after five or six minutes of trying to entice him with all the sounds you know, and he doesn't do anything. So you walk away looking for another elk because you think he left, or you don't even know. But the point is those elk hardly ever leave. They're right there. And so I play that slow play breeding sequence so what have i done i've aroused his testosterone level by playing on his instinct to breed in september i've slowly raised it up until this guy is an outraged and now here he comes running and and i mean they come in fast they my son when i called his bull near with this similar thing five yard shot i mean i had one at 15 you know, one mine came in. I called one in for the vets. He was at 25. I mean, my point is, is that when these bulls come, so many times when they commit, there is no sneaking, and they do not come in downwind. They come the shortest route, and they are beelining right at you. If there is an obstruction, they'll get around it. But the last thing they're doing is thinking something suspicious over there, and they're trying to get behind you. They're not doing that. So take note of that. Don't worry about them trying to come around. They're coming right at you, and they're cutting. You know, they're cutting that ground down fast because when they do finally commit. It's game on. You better be ready. You better have an arrow knocked. I mean, you cannot, you're not pulling one out of your quiver and messing around with any of this. It'll only take you one or two times. You'll realize that you'll never do that again. You've got to be ready because they come in right now. But once you play that game, Dan, I'm telling you, and make it work a couple times, it is so crazy awesome because you can attract, I don't care if you go to New Mexico or Arizona or wherever you want to go, you will call these over-the-counter bulls in. But pay attention how I do it, how I play with them. You see, and and, and raise that testosterone level. That is what's so important is you're raising that all the way down to his toenails, all the way up to coming out the top of his head. You've aroused him because he thinks there's a hot cow there. He wants a scent checker. He wants to come over. You know, he wants to be part of that. And they do. So don't think that slow play don't work because it it, is I can't even say enough for it. It works so well for us. I hate to even tell everybody it's so dang good.
2: Well, let's go back to that so we've gotten the bull worked up really like it's time for you to make that cow sound that says, Hey, mister, you come over here. Hey,
3: the urgent one or the first one, the The first one's a kind of an invite. Okay.
2: Let's go over the invitation and then the demand. And Mm -hmm. I just want guys to really, I want them to really hone in on this.
3: Okay. You know, and I learned this from sitting with the elk for so many years, this is where I saw this where the, where, where some would get separated And the cows, uh, uh, you know, they'd be moving around and and they're all talking, blah, blah, blah. But then all of a sudden something wouldn't answer frequent enough. And that's when I started hearing them make, and I call it the regathering sound. It's come on over here or come back. Where are you? And I've noticed that when they're making this sound like this. (coughs) See, that's not your standard cow sound, folks. That's the regathering. That's it. Come on back over here. Where are you? They're not answering the normal cow sound as they're, you know, chattering, moving through. And there might be three cows. There might be 25. And there's yearlings. There's everything. And they know each other by their sound, believe me. And they can tell when someone's not answering or talking. And this is usually in timber country. So they're using it in that time and, 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 uh, you know, under that situation. Well, you're using the same sound. Okay, come on over here to the bull. Same thing. So now here she is with this bull, and she hears this other bull chime in. Now she's telling him to come on over. Well, me, I'm supposed to be a real bull here. I don't like that because as soon as he responds to it, I'm cutting him off. Even though it's just a little, you know, I'm not going nuts with him yet. I'm on about a level five out of ten being the highest. I, I, want, I need room to, to, to build my emotion and intensity as necessary to finally finish him off. So I don't want to hit him too early and push him away. You see, and that's what can happen. If you hit him too fast, he's not there yet in his mind. He's not on full tilt mode at all. He can be scared off to to some extent. Every time, no, but you don't know what kind of bull he is. So you play the game so you don't lose any of them. You will finally get him to commit. Be patient. So then when she starts doing the contact, which is urgent if this cow she's talking to or a bull I want you I want a response or a visual or come over here now right now just like if you were telling your kid to come over here hey come on over here no now you're saying maybe you said it a couple times now you're saying get over here now You see, and that's an urgent demanding, and your kid's like, whoa, I better take notice because dad's not messing around here. You see, and and, and it's along the same line that a cow or bull can use on any animal, but in this case, it's a cow, and I'm using my voice. I'm kind of, that's what I'm doing as I'm letting my tongue touch the reed, and I'm letting it vibrate the reed and go at the same time. And so I'm barely touching it because if you put too much pressure, it goes to a higher pitch, kind of like this. So if I put too much pressure, it climbs. And I don't want that note. I want
0: that.
3: And it's on the app. Those who might have the Elfmet app, look at the contact buzz and you'll hear that cow going like crazy using that sound. And some have called it the estrus buzz. And I don't like calling it that. I used to years ago because everybody else did. But it has nothing to do with a cow being in heat. It's a cow trying to bring other elk her way and or, – or or to gather them together urgently and get out of there or just to come on over here real quick. And once I hit that sound right there, Dan, that is it's almost the last nail in the coffin because when you – when that cow insists for that bull to come, he gets so excited because, see, I can't do this too early. What if I did this in the beginning? He hadn't even said anything yet. You see, it's the wrong ingredient for the recipe at the wrong time. The ingredient said you put the three eggs, the flour in and mix them all up. Don't put the milk in yet. Not yet. Not the butter. You don't do that yet. Mess up the whole, you know, dish. You don't do that. That's the same thing that people need to understand and distance is everything. You got to make sure they're hearing all this. You can't just throw any sound out there on any bull because you just think it's a cool sound. No, I know I'm playing this bull, and once I get him to respond, I got him to this level, to this level, to this level. I'm being patient. 20 years ago or 30 when I was your age, man, I was the least impatient guy in the world. I wanted action right now. Now, 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 or leave him to move and go. you know. But now I've learned that none of these bulls have left. They're, and I mean we literally – I will go out there, and I will call 18 out of 20 bulls in the bow range with this type of a system. Sometimes I have to start further into the slow play. That's what's so cool about the slow play. You start in the beginning and by the time you finish your lip ball and you're doing everything. One of my favorite sounds at the end when they won't come in fast enough is I'll hit them with just one single grunt and scream over the top of them. You see, and, and, and a lot of times that just puts a nail on the coffin in them. But but so I am using those sounds. I just can't use them in the beginning like most hunters do that you see on YouTube. They're starting out with the first bugle they hear from anybody doing that on every single one of them. And how many do you see them lose? You can't even count them all. There's so many. You see, and so I found out years ago that if you start slower on those bulls that aren't ready to be that aggressive yet because there's no cows in heat, you start slower and you can almost gain their trust. And if I got that bull… And I work through most of the slow play, and he's there and he keeps cranking it, but he won't come. That's kind of like at the seminar when I said, That's when I reach for the antlers. Because once I go through this and I've had that exchange with him, if he just won't commit, but he's only 100 yards there, he's been coming and coming, but he's just staying there is I will start bringing the antlers out and start clashing them and raking and thrashing, and I'll make all those yearning sounds like you heard me with the bugle, maybe even a hard, just a grunt or something with it, and it's painting the picture in the real bull that another bull came in, and now they're competing for that cow. This guy was slow to act, but another bull's already come in. When you start crashing the antlers, clanking and kicking the ground and give a couple whiny cow sounds, this guy, he can't take it no more. You have just brought out the big guns. And rarely do I have to use it, I'll be honest with you, hardly ever. But once in a blue moon, I have to use that. And when I do and I start clashing those, game over. He can't take no more than that. Here he comes. It's a very natural, a realistic setting, things that happen in the elk world all the time, you know, under the right situation. So hunters need to understand all this. There's so much more to say. I'm going to walk out there and bugle and cow call, and I'm really good at it. I have great sounds. But if you don't know what those sounds mean or when to use all this as as a tool, put it all together. That's why so many guys fail. Dan, it's like five, eight, nine percent on public land over-the-counter tags that people kill an elk every year. That's all it is. That's ninety-two percent to ninety-five percent that don't kill an elk. And here I hunted in a unit last year that has a five-point-nine percent, and over seven thousand hunters were in it. How many people went home with nothing? And yet. We went home with the bull like we did every year because this is the kind of tactics that we're using. We're using these, these calling systems, and they are just so proven and sound. They're kill elk. You just have to do your part. Good setup, which I don't want to get in that kind of – that was a question you had. But setup is so, so important. You have to put elk into search mode. If you give them that luxury of stopping at 75, 80 yards out of your boat range well out of it, That's where they'll stop because they know they should should be seeing a representation of what those sounds were coming from. So one of the hardest things for hunters to do is to set up in a spot where they can only see what they're good at shooting, 40 yards, 45, whatever it is. If you can't shoot beyond that, you know, uh, with a lot of confidence and you need it closer – You need to have a setup where elk just keep coming, coming, coming. And they will. You brought them from 200 to 150 to 100. They're going to come those last yards, let me tell you. They're not turning around going anywhere. They keep coming. And once you see it happen a couple of times, it'll build your confidence. They'll do it. My son and I have taken 63 elk in 29 years. Our average shot is 23 yards. We did our best to calculate that one day. And so giving you an, an idea uh, we've shot him at five yards. I've shot him at 14, but our average is 23. That's top pin. When you set up, don't think you have to have something that you have to see him coming in the last hundred yards or whatever. No, 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 no. Because they also can see. And so I try to to eliminate that. I take it out of the equation and force them to keep coming, coming. And, you know, the, it's just all part of the game from your calling to set up to how tight your quarters are, too.
2: I really dig what you're saying there. I, I, I want to wrap this up, but, man, this has been my... <laughs> great conversation so setting up and getting in some pretty tight spaces super critical because if you mm-hmm. are like those elk want to see and that they get hung up all the time and a lot of times they just can't see what they expected to see remember what paul's saying here is don't be afraid of having a real tight setup that's actually going to work to your advantage and then you said a, a unit with seven thousand hunters and only five point something percent so like There's 6,500 plus dudes that didn't get an elk. Let's talk about that for a second. Like, (laughs) holy crap. Like, that sucks, man, because I live off elk meat and I was that guy. And (laughs) I was the guy with like all of September to learn that I sucked. Like, I didn't have only five days or here or there. Like, (laughs) I was going all in and still sucking. But when you're talking to these guys that just, you know, aren't getting it done and the setups specifically, I wanna know, like, If you were to coach these guys, I feel like a lot of guys will either, one, set up, try to be behind a tree, not out in the open. That's pretty common one. The other one is like pulling their bow back way too early, and I don't think that's as common as not pulling your bow back soon enough, almost like you're hypnotized, like you're in a trance, you're watching this bull come in, and you forgot, like, oh, you're here to kill him, that bow's got to get pulled back, and then the last thing I could think of would be like not having a diaphragm read in the shooter's mouth to stop the bull, say he's in the spot you want to shoot him at. You can always stop him and shoot him. So what are your tips for all those things I mentioned about screwing up the setup and mainly getting that bow pulled back when that opportunity finally arrives? Yeah, you know,
3: all those things are, I mean, they're just so important. And I think they're so easy to say, but harder to do. Because when you have especially an inexperienced uh, shooter out there, Hunter, Meaning, maybe he's killed a hundred whitetail. Who cares? Elk, see, el, elk hunting is a totally different animal, and 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 they're starting to realize that. And 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 I think a lot of people get themselves into too tight of quarters because they don't want to be seen. And and their and their shooting lanes are not just limited, but some are non-existent. I've watched guys right in front of me where I took new guys out, and I mean they get so hidden they they not only can't don't have shooting lanes they can't even draw their bow back kind of what you alluded to there their their arms are hitting things their their limbs are i mean there's they're so worried about being seen and, and and so what you need to do is you need to definitely be next to something that's my favorite i don't like being in front of things very much i'll be honest with you i don't like it i like being next to it And, 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 and I think the reason being is, is, is the exposure of being in front of it. And you have to understand that I'm talking about close quarters here. I'm not talking about, I'm watching this animal come in from 80 yards and I, and I can see all this and I know what to do and when to draw, blah, blah, blah. No. I'm like, I'm, I'm talking about elk coming right on top of you. And so I like being right next to something because it gives me the comfort of being able to still shoot straight, still shoot left, still shoot right. And not being exposed when I'm sitting next to limbs, I don't feel exposed. And I think a lot of it is your self-confidence. If, if, if that helps you, it's going to help you right there during, you know, your shot. If you feel too exposed and I do, when I'm in front of something, then I'm losing some of my self-confidence. And and a lot of that is all that's really required in there. You you lose that little bit of self-confidence in yourself or your equipment or something like that. And man, it can really you know go against you. And for so for me personally, I usually like being on one knee. I like to be hidden as much as possible. And one of my my big pet peeves for people is they sat up in such a spot that it doesn't allow them to move. You cannot believe how many times we have to reposition because the bull didn't read the script and he came in where he shouldn't have came. We didn't think he was going to come in from that side. Even though the wind, he still it's fine. It's no issue. But he's coming in from a different angle and you can hear him crash, crash, bang, bang. Or maybe you can hear him vocally. The point is he's not coming right, right where the shooter is. So the shooter needs to reposition really quick. And you have to have that presence of mind to do that. Because let me tell you something. Because you're calling and your shooter's right there, it, he doesn't always come straight at the at the caller. He just doesn't. So always remember that when you can, get in, yourself in a position that you can move left, right, or even forward as the shooter. I mean it's so important. And if there's three of you, I never have two shooters. Two shooters will screw each other up more times than you can ever blink an eye at. Really? you got three people, two callers, one shooter absolutely make the guy the second one be another caller further back where he's call cow call, call calling adding to it throwing a short grunt in and raking thrashing everything like there's more elk back there oh yeah when we have three even four one shooter every time no way do we put two shooters out why because we used to <laughs> and they blow each other big guy thinks this guy doesn't have a shot so he's forcing something or this guy moves when this guy's going don't do that i've got a shot he's coming right they don't see each other good enough and so I have found over the years that two shooters have—they have nothing but trouble. If you're shooting sagebrush country and they're 100 yards in front, I can I can see maybe something there panning out better. But when you're in in, in like timber country and 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 you're in you have two shooters, and most of the time two shooters can't even see each other hardly. It, it just works against them. I've found we kill nearly every single bull with one shooter. And so yeah, we utilize the second person whether and if he doesn't know how to call much, I have him just raking brush, thrashing, milling around like there's three or four elk out over there just dinking. Thrash. oh yeah, you get that you get them in, in their minds eye that there's elk in addition to the guy who's doing the calling. That's just a little group over there. We call a lot of bulls like that. And with that, with additional people behind us, yeah, we'll let them throw a little sound out, but we will tell them what to do and when to do it and how to do it. And then we send them back. And so we don't let them get too carried away with it, you know, and and, and it really does play it out when you're playing something like that. And a guy goes, you know, and that's all it takes sometimes or a crazy calf. Sometimes I'll even have a a shooter do that or a caller do that where they're just, yeah, and dancing and baiting and busting everything. <laughs> Haven't you ever had calves do that? They come running oh, in like God. they're almost Reckless thing in the world. They're reckless, and you're like, is that really an elk coming? I mean, and this thing's bouncing around like on a trampoline. But we will do those little things out there. Oh yeah, all these little sounds, just boom, and just make the whole situation. See, it's not really a slow play at that time. It's we're, we're talking about other situations. Yeah, but so many times you can utilize these extra guys. And no, I have one shooter and one shooter only. And if that shooter doesn't really know what he's doing, he hasn't killed many elk or any. Then I like having an experienced person with him. So if it's my son and I, nine times out of ten, if my son's calling, I'll go with the shooter. That's if it's my son, tip. it's hey, draw now, draw now. If you go watch the fil- the full draw film tour where we have a hunt on it, we discussed this. I discussed it with the cameraman. He's a really solid guy, his name's Nick. And I had told him, I said, this guy's never seen an elk. He's never heard an elk. More or less drawn an elk. The, 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 the Rover vet guy, the guy, the wounded warrior program. I said, this guy's never seen anything. He's going to, he's not going to know what really to do. So I said, you got to let him know to draw. And when, as you watch the film, the guy's like, oh yeah, oh yeah. Whatever he tells me, I'll be doing it. And we're watching the film. And, and of course I saw it on the camera right during the hunt. As I came up, I called the bull in. And so I walked back there and Nick tells the guy, he goes, draw, draw now. And the guy turns around and looks at him. It's like, why? There's nothing there. And no, the bull was coming. You can see his antlers bouncing through the timber. And he's running at me as I'm calling. And he's going, draw, 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 draw now, now, now. And then the guy wasn't drawing. And finally, the guy just draws. He looks at him like, why am I drawing? Okay, I draw. And there the bull pops right out, 25 yards. And he kills him right there. <laughs> but he drills him. And so the thing is, is you get a new guy. What if Nick wouldn't have been there? The camera guy. The guy would have never drawn. He, not until the bull's standing there, and then it was way too late, yep. and he would have probably got so excited and drew right when the bull's lucky. You know how things go, and the bull would have blew out of him and never even had a shot. So things like that take place so much. Or you send a shooter out there that doesn't really know a lot, and you try to educate him of how to set up, and they run out there 15 yards in front of you and plant down. Nothing. They don't go anywhere, and you tell them to go to that tree, and they just get too excited. They don't know where to go, what to do, what tree you're pointing at. I mean, seriously, this happens all the time. We take a lot of new guys out, and so it's so important if you have somebody with a little experience, go with the shooter because your odds just escalate tremendously to get him in the right spot. Get his arrow out, get it knocked, and if you have to pivot and move 15 yards to the right because the bull's coming in around some obstruction or a downfall you don't see, you do it ahead of time. You don't do it when the bull's right there and sees you. So, I mean, when my son and I are doing this, you should see how much we move. You would, be, you think we go up there and sit in one spot and, and the collar does his thing and the bull comes right to you every time? No way. Half the time, 50% of it, I have to jump right, jump left, move over because the bull's coming where you don't know where they're going to come. It's not like they have roads there and trails where they just walk down this thing. No, you're bringing them out of nowhere. And my favorite place to call elk, I'll tell you right now, bring them downhill. If you can get the bull coming downhill, I can tell you your odds will shoot up over 90% that you'll kill that bull or have a shot opportunity. And I believe... The the reason behind that is as you're bringing the bull in like that, he feels powerful. He oh, feels yes. he's got leverage on you. He's coming at you, and he's got the he's got the upper hand. And I like calling him in. I've called him in uphill too, Dan, left, right, but man. Anytime I can bring a bull downhill, I just smiles on my face because I see he comes in with so much more of a positive attitude and they come in fast when they do that. So that's good. I think you recognize that, don't you? <laughs>
2: no, I think you've nailed it. I mean, a lot of the bulls I've killed, majority have come down, the ones I've called with a bugle and they're, they're coming down. And a lot of times, dude, they do this weird, like they'll get pretty tight and then they just all of a sudden turn to like display. And that's always great because that's a broadside shot. And uh, it seems like elk a lot of times have to size each other up and like build up. Exactly. They got to build up their bugle juice enough to where they're like, all right, (laughs) game time. Let's fight. But they always like a lot of them just do this display thing first. And it's just great for us because that's just broadside. And you do a little cow call, they stop and the arrow's gone before you know it. Well, Paul, I think uh, I won't take too much (laughs) more of your time. A couple things just closing. And then I'll have you finish with your last whatever you want to shout out is. You're you're not a huge guy. You're like, what, 5'7",
3: 5'8"? 5'7". And what do you weigh? 152 150? usually. Okay,
2: I'm about the same height, the same weight. I'm just here to tell everybody being little pays off in the Elk Mountains. And that was <laughs> just my way of like pumping up a short guys like they just can't see us. <laughs> and, uh, but you're an animal. Like just hearing your training regimen and your enthusiasm for elk, I want to be like you when I get older, man. Yeah, and I want <laughs> well, to. Man, I
3: appreciate that. Thought. I would love
2: to hunt with you someday, but I more importantly just appreciate you taking the time out of your day to drop knowledge for all of our listeners. I really appreciate it,
3: man. I'll tell you what, it was an honor to do it. I, I really, really enjoyed it, and I have a lot of respect for you, Dan. So I really appreciate you you uh, asking me to do this. I really do. It, it meant a lot to me, and I, I enjoy talking elk no matter what. Anyway.
2: Cool, man. Well, we'll uh, look forward to seeing some of your videos and stories come this fall. I imagine you'll be in Idaho, but I do want to give you a plug. Not that that's why I brought you on here, but guys, I remember when my dad brought home the Elk Nut CDs. Or maybe they were DVDs. I'm not sure what, but it was like a book of them that he bought. And we went through them all, and it really catapulted our game. And, And Paul made it really fun because, I mean... He was just, his, you know, the same enthusiasm you're hearing now is what you'll see when you, you do that. And I don't know what you're up to now. I know you have an awesome app that I've heard awesome things about, but what else, what, what resources do you have out there for our listeners to take advantage of? I mean that's a that
3: that's really it in a nutshell these days. I mean we still have the same you know the DVDs and and newer ones since since you started the game, but yeah we have the DVD CDs and the Elk Nut Playbook that I wrote. But the app you know for me personally I think that's my proudest moment at this time because of the information that we've we've taken from everything we have out there and really elevated it and put it into that app. Along with the slow play, recording, being able to record your own sounds and listen to Real Elk or listen to myself as you record side by side so you can compare, you know, what your calling is like and maybe what you need work on or what you're doing really good. I mean, all the elk sounds are on there and just so much information as far as what the message is being sent by the elk by every sound you hear. It's all defined there. And so it's it's just a really good learning tool to to be able to use now. Uh, In the field at camp, if you want to refresh your memories from there. But for us, you know, the app is it seems the most uh, technological thing that everybody can have. And once you have it on your phone, you can take it anywhere in the field. You don't need Wi-Fi. So it's just it's a quick tool to uh, to be able to consider. No matter what, especially in this day and age when most guys can only go out, you know, five, six, seven, eight days, they can't hunt all year like like a lot of us have the luxury of doing. And so they need to take advantage of every situation that comes their sway, their way, and the app really does lean towards that. It shows you how to be an effective hunter no matter what, whether it's the night calling or calling the way I do to locate elk. All kinds of strategies on there. It's not just a slow play. It's just a slow play works so well that I really uh, enjoy using it and recommending it to others. But yeah, that that's pretty much it, right there, Dan. Other than that, I don't have anything real new coming out. I don't think you need it. I mean, how many much other ways can you be successful? I mean, these. I mean, this just really does it all.
2: That says everything. And then you're on Instagram um, at Elk Nut Outdoors. Is uh, is Junior on there? Like your son.
3: He's actually the one that does it all. Okay. If I write anything on it at all, I usually will say it's me. But but everything that is put on uh on there actually is him and the reason for it, I have no clue how you do any of that. None. <laughs> Zero. I honestly don't. I, I just That's I, whole, I go on there and I look yeah. at the pictures and I read what things guys write, and then once in a while he showed me how to write on it and what to do. And that's about that's about it for me, man. I'm, I am not, uh, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm PC challenged. Let's put it that way. No I really am. I can use my phone and I can do certain things. But other than that, I'm not like you guys, you younger guys. My God, you guys have run circles around me on this stuff.
2: Oh, man. Well, that's another learning curve. Paul, this for your time. <laughs> make sure you send me a text or two to keep me up to date on your progress. And let's just stay in touch this fall. God bless you, man. Hey,
3: absolutely, Damon. Absolutely. All right. Hey, thank you very much. I appreciate it.
2: All right. Have a good night, man. All right. Good night. Welcome to the two minute drill sponsored by Elk 101. I'm going to sit down and chat with the elk hunting wizard himself, Corey Jacobson. Two minutes on the clock. Hurry up, offense style. Corey's going to drop knowledge bombs, and you are going to get better at elk hunting. So, without further ado, here's Corey, and here is our topic of the day. Oh, Corey, you get this question a lot. We probably get it too. But folks are encountering bulls that bugle. You get excited. You finally got them to answer you or they bugled on their own. And as soon as you bugle back, it seems like they run or vacate the area. What's going on there?
1: (laughs) There's nothing – well, I was going to say there's nothing – more frustrating than an elk that bugles and runs and maybe the only thing that's more frustrating is an elk that won't bugle at all and I think both of those situations kind of fit into the same category it's natural for an elk to bugle I mean they're a vocal animal especially during the rut to uh, to encounter an elk that's that's either timid in his bugle or that won't bugle at all there's a reason for that, and I think it's important to try to understand the reason for it. And if you understand uh, the reason why, it's a lot easier to find a solution than if you just – you know, if, if I was to give somebody a calling sequence and say, go and do this, they practice it, they perfect it, and then go out there, it's only going to be effective part of the time. But if you can understand why you're encountering something and then what to do to overcome that, you're going to be able to be effective and successful in just about any situation. So when it comes to elk that bugle and run or elk that just won't talk at all, there's really probably only three or four reasons uh, that they do that. At least 80% of the time, I think, can be stuck with one of these three or four reasons. And the first one is the elk's been pressured over and over by other hunters and he's wary. And, you know, you get into those pre- those areas where there's a lot of hunting pressure, and the elk do get tight-lipped. They get call shy. And it's just because, you know, they, they hear a bugle, they come running into it, and all of a sudden they get a nose full of human scent. Or they come into a setup, and you shoot and miss, and they see you. They just, they start correlating danger and the hunting pressure together. And, After they hear three or four hunters bugling at them and they come in and smell humans, they start correlating the bugling to danger. And so it it does have an effect on those elk. Uh, That's probably the one that we encounter the most just because we're hunting public land with over-the-counter tags. But hunting pressure definitely contributes to the elk either being timid, tight-lipped, or non-vocal. Hey, elk hunters. Corey Jacobson here from elk101.com. And if you're like me, you're probably thinking about elk hunting every day of the year and working continually to maximize your chances for success this fall. Well, Dan and I have created a special opportunity for you that I feel will absolutely take you to the next level in elk hunting, regardless of your previous experience. Three years ago, I created the University of Elk Hunting online course with one goal in mind, to make you a more successful elk hunter. The UEH online course contains 45 chapters of detailed elk hunting information organized into 17 modules and covering every imaginable elk hunting topic. From planning and scouting to calling tactics and tracking and every topic in between, the University of Elk Hunting online course is the most comprehensive and complete resource available to elk hunters. And for listeners of the Elk Shape podcast, Dan and I have teamed up to offer you a 20% discount when you sign up. Simply go to elk101.com, click the link to the online course, and use the code ELKSHAPE, all one word, when you check out. You owe it to yourself to invest in the single most lethal weapon that you take to the elk woods each fall. Invest in you. Sign up for the University of Elk Hunting online course and elevate your elk hunting success today.
2: All right, that's it. That's what we got. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope your brain's full. Put some of this knowledge to work. Go ahead and leverage elk hunting in the worst way. And if you get a hot minute, tell a buddy. Tell a friend about our podcast. Give us a review. We'll catch you on the next one. Have a great week, y'all.